0: It's a big day in our church, and it's a big season in our church. This is the fourth week of Advent. This is the last week of Advent, and Advent is a season of waiting. Advent is a season of waiting. We put ourselves in the shoes of God's people who waited and waited and waited and waited for the promised king God would send. So we look back to the first Advent. Advent is a fancy word for coming. So we look back to the first Advent when Jesus came, as we just sang, God with us from a virgin who conceived and bore a son. But we also look forward, and we as God's people wait and wait and wait and wait and wait, because we believe Jesus Emmanuel, God's king, We'll have a second Advent, a second coming, in which that kingdom that came will come in fullness. So we wait, we wait, we wait. Advent is a season that prepares us not just for Christmas, but just to look ahead to the King who will return and come in fullness. There's four themes associated with the four weeks of Advent. We looked at hope, we looked at peace, we looked at joy, and then tonight we look at love. We look at love tonight. Now, if you watch TV this time of year, you have no shortage of definitions provided to you about what love is. Here's what I mean. Two weeks ago, Emma and I are watching the Cowboys because, hello, the Cowboys. (laughs) Praise God. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And the advent of Dak and Zeke has just been a cause for joy and love and We were watching the Cowboys. We were watching the Cowboys, and that's not what I wanted to tell you. What I wanted to tell you is we saw a commercial, and the commercial gave us a definition of love, and the commercial said, this Christmas, show her you love her by buying her the whatever diamond ring, or you got it, the Lexus, or the fill in the blank, or the this, or the that, show her you love her, but in this case, Em and I are watching the game, and they have all these diamond ring commercials, because they're thinking there's a bunch of dudes who just are going to swipe the credit card, and just say, yes, uh-huh, I will show her I love her by doing this, and so it's like the most, like, boulder-sized, shiny, beautiful, awesome diamond, and my... St- sweet little daughter, looks up at me and she goes, Daddy. And she looks back because Amy's like on the other side of the room doing something and she goes, Daddy, you should get mommy that ring. (laughs) I was like, well, yeah, wow, I guess she'd like that, yeah. Okay. And then Emma goes, Mom! Hey, Mom! Do you want a big old diamond ring? (laughs) And she goes, oh, yeah, sure, great. And then she goes, Dad, she loves it. You should get her that ring. <laughs> so I was like it's like, do you know your mother, like that little pebble that I got her is all she wears? But OK. But the thing is, if by showing her love, I have to drain my bank account to buy her this diamond ring, I'm in big, 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 big trouble. So in our church, when we try to provide a definition of what love is over and above the culture that says this is what love is, in our church we say this, love is choosing to relate to another. So it's relational. It's a choice. It's not an emotion. It's not a ring. We choose to relate to another as valuable, even at cost to yourself. Now for those of you paying attention, you say, well, Adam... If it costs you, doesn't a diamond ring cost? Shouldn't you go and swipe that credit card and do that? Well, what I have in mind by cost doesn't just mean financial cost, although it can mean that. It means sacrifice. If it costs you something, you are starting to get close to the kind of love that God shows us. And the kind of love that if we've seen God love in this way at cost to himself, then we can go out as God's people transformed by that love to show that love that costs us as we go out and love others. Because that is a transformative kind of love. My wife may feel good about the diamond ring for a minute, but it doesn't transform her. It would only transform her into fits of rage because she'd say, how much did you pay for this because a four-year-old told you to? The kind of transformative love is sacrificial love. So to put it succinctly, love is sacrificial action. Where do we get such an idea of this kind of love and why do we look at this kind of love in Advent? We get this idea from places like First John Where he says things like this in chapter 3. I believe this is on the screen. This is how we know what love is. Okay? You ready? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That cost Jesus something, yes? Okay, now we're getting there. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers And sisters. So again, we see God who loves at cost to himself. And then when we see that and we are transformed by that, we go out and love at cost to ourselves. Why? Because that love transforms our broke down world, waiting for God to come. John says elsewhere in the next chapter, chapter 4 of 1 John, this is how God showed his love among us. Now this is why we say it's action. Your wife can't see your feelings. She can see your actions. Your friends and your family can't see your feelings, but they can read your face when you go to Christmas dinner this week. But God showed us his love by sending his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. There it is again. We see God embracing this broken world, sending his son Jesus that cost him something. When we see this love, we're transformed by this love, and then we in turn go out and we show that love to others. And it transforms this broken world waiting for a savior. This is why we're talking about love in Advent. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love is sacrificial action. Anything short of that misses God's love and the love that we are called to. In our friendships, our marriages, our relationships with co-workers and strangers and children and students and family and senior citizens and homosexuals and heterosexuals. And every single person you meet, there is not one neighbor in which you are not called to love as yourself. So tonight we see Joseph. We see Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. He's the adopted father of Jesus who has been transformed by a love that costs. And he's an incredible example of sacrificial action. As we read, he's going to sacrifice a lot in this account in chapter 1 of Matthew. The first thing he sacrifices, because he loves Mary, he loves God, and he loves this child who is God with us. The first thing he sacrifices is his logic. What do I mean by that? If what Mary says is true, that what is birthed and conceived within me is of the Holy Spirit, then Joseph says, "Uh-huh, yes, right." That's what happened. Are you with me? I know you've heard this story one million times. Let's listen to it again, one million and one times, and let's listen to it as real actual people in a real actual life that looks and says, "Wait a minute." Is this accurate? What did Mary say? How can this be possible? Joseph has to come to grips with sacrificing his logic. The second thing that he sacrifices is his future. The second thing he sacrifices is his future. Here's what I mean by that. He's going to step out in faith. It's going to cost him hitching his wagon to another person who has, watched this, not the talk of the town Gossip. He's sacrificing his future to hitch his wagon to a woman who has received an announcement from an angel that says what is conceived in you is of the Holy Spirit. And he is going to have a choice to either divorce her quietly as we're going to see or hitch his wagon to Mary. He also sacrifices his future because what he would have done in this legal transaction we're about to look at is pay Mary's father a bride price. And if he divorces her, he could get a nice fat refund and he could pick up his uh, wounds and scars and he could go with someone else. But instead he sacrifices his future, he sacrifices his logic, and finally he sacrifices his reputation. If there was a TMZ or a paparazzi of the day, Joseph and Mary were all the talk of the town at 10 p.m. late night whenever that show comes on. You with me? He sacrifices his reputation. Why? Because Joseph loved at cost to himself. And the call for us is that Joseph shows us that love, right, this transformative relationship that we see from God leads us to embrace others and love others and see them as valuable even at cost to ourselves. So this is not new for us, church. It is a reminder because we will live and die as partners in God's mission on our ability to love each other and love our neighbor as ourself. So this is a good reminder for us tonight as we turn to Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. You still with me? Here's what he says in verse 18. It'll be on your screen if you'd like to follow along. After the genealogy which is the list of Jesus' messed up family tree, which gives us hope that there's hope and love for us too, who come from messed up family trees. After the genealogy, he says, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the King, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So, Matthew is about to give us the account of Jesus' birth, and he's going to give it through the eyes of Joseph. If you flipped over to Luke, you'll see the same story of Jesus' birth through the eyes of Mary, So you're going to get the angel coming to Mary. And you're going to get Mary exploding in a song of joy and wonderment and surprise. And it's no wonder that we read Luke's story to the kids. Because what we see in Matthew is this is how the birth happened. All of a sudden, whoops, Mary is found to be pregnant, and she says it's of the Holy Spirit. And what we're left with is not a song of joy and wonderment and angels and shepherds and all this beautiful stuff. What we see in Matthew through Joseph's eyes is a dilemma. Because what you need to know about Mary and Joseph is this. First of all, Mary was probably around 14 or 15 years old at the time. Okay? She's become a woman in that society. She's 14 or 15. She's young. And in that society, women needed to get married because they couldn't go off to college and just get a nice job and be rocking and rolling through life. So she's prime marrying age. She winds up pregnant. And at this time, she is engaged to be married to Joseph. And it's not the kind of engagement that we see in our day. It was a a more systematic, legal, religious, cultural, binding agreement called betrothal. So what we have here is rather than an engagement, we have Mary who's 14 or 15, engaged or betrothed to Joseph who would have been a few years older because he will have worked a little bit to kind of get him a nest egg to help kind of support the wife that he will soon receive. So maybe Joseph's like 17, 18, 19, 20. So we have these two people who've entered into a year-long engagement that is a legally binding Situation, So the pledge to be married was legal, and though they weren't quite married yet, the only way out, watch, was divorce. Even though they're not quite married, they're so close that they say you're close enough to where you need to be divorced. And so infidelity at this stage, which is what everybody in their town was saying because nobody's trusting that an angel of the Lord said God's king is coming from a poor 14-year-old girl from a backwoods town like Nazareth. It would just imagine like the poorest of the poor, teenage pregnancy in like Podunkville. No. Nobody would think big things are happening Everyone's saying, "You're lying." And so what a divorce would mean is that surely she was unfaithful. And so if she winds up pregnant, it's considered adultery, and adultery is grounds for divorce in their culture. Adultery for a 14-year-old girl who is pregnant could mean execution. So then. We have Mary at worst being executed and at best a small chance of being a single mom in a society that didn't support single moms. So what Joseph is left with is not the children's Luke Christmas play. We have in Matthew a dilemma where Joseph has to choose to either divorce her quietly because he's a righteous man, Luke te- uh, Matthew tells us. And he doesn't want to expose her to the talk of the town. So he has a choice to kind of tuck her and the child away quietly, like so many do in our society today. Or he has a choice to embrace her, even if it costs him everything. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And I've tried to paint a picture of how wild that sounds, it sounds just as crazy then as it does to so many seekers and skeptics today. I don't know what it is about the so-called immaculate conception, which is the fancy theological term for a no-man conception that happened with Mary. I don't know what it is about the immaculate conception or the virgin birth that is such a sticking point, but it is. It is. I've talked to people who've uh, been involved in life in this church who would come and sit down and as they're telling us why they're leaving, they say, man, it's like the virgin birth. That's just crazy. And I said, you know what else is crazy? All of it. I don't know why it's such a sticking point. We pray to someone we don't see who we said was murdered 2,000 years ago, who's alive today and with us because God raised him from the dead. Oh, God, yeah, he's the guy who spoke everything you see and all that you can't see into existence. Oh, Jesus, yeah, that homeless guy that walked, he opened the eyes of the blind, the ears of the deaf. Oh, he did all this. Why? Why do we believe this? Because there's been something that's been birthed deep inside of us in which we've seen the God who loved at cost to himself that sends his son and we see it. We're compelled by it. We're transformed by it. We don't understand it, but we just cannot shake the fact that Jesus Christ is actually with us. And he's not just with us, he's with a billion other people in India and Korea and Kenya and Russia and Australia. And he's been with people in all the wrong places for all the wrong people and we can't shake Jesus. It's a hard account for modern minds, it's a strange account for ancient minds. They had heard stories like in the Greek mythology of gods coming down and impregnating Uh, surreptitiously, sexually. They have heard stories of gods coming down and impregnating women. What they had not heard was this kind of story in which this powerful work of the Holy Spirit worked in someone they keep insisting and have insisted for centuries is a virgin. Because if she's a virgin, there is no way to look at that and, and, and say that, that we could do it. <laughs> because what we talked about last week is God specializes in doing all the things that we thought couldn't be done. Like raising somebody from the dead. Like giving you exactly what you need when you needed it this week. Like just enough encouragement from that one person to kind of take you a step back from the ledge. Because God can do that. Just as he can raise a dead man on a hospital bed in ICU for five days. Just like he can raise your finances with that just right job at just that right time. God specializes in doing what you thought could not be done. So we should be startled by the virgin birth, but we should be stunned that God wasn't a God who came down from Mount Olympus and hooked up with some people. We should be stunned that God, the Most High, came down to be born to two unwed, poor teenagers in a dark barn when everyone else thought they were liars. We should be stunned that God became one of us, not just that he's with us. We should be stunned that God refuses to abandon us. We should be stunned every week we gather, knowing what has happened the last week. And when we come, it's like God meets us for the first time, and he says, my mercy is new today, I'm refusing to give up on you, I am with you, I am for you, I will never forsake you, I will never leave you, I am yours, you are mine, we should be stunned, he refuses to give up on us. That's what we should be stunned about. We should think, wow, what a miracle of the virgin birth. What a miracle that he will never stop loving you even when you don't even love yourself. That's what should stun us. Jesus was born in shame, darkness, destitution. That should stun us. Jesus lived with the blue collar, beaten down, burned out people. That should stun us. Jesus healed the blind deaf, dying dead. He blessed the poor, the helpless, the hurting, and he died murdered. Everyone in the world could imagine God's doing this, that, another. No one imagined a God who came as a child and would die as a murderer and a rebel. That should startle us and Advent wakes us up to it. Matthew gets us into this story. Joseph has this terrible dilemma. And is he going to trust that God has actually done this miracle of the virgin birth? Look at verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. And what he means by that is he has a right to divorce her. And yet, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Watch this. Here's love. Joseph, by embracing Mary, embraces her shame. Who is it in your life, in my life, in our lives, as a church, as an individual, who you struggle to embrace, to accept, to welcome? Because it's going to cost us. Joseph was brave, and he operated on faith. But at this time, he was ready to put her and this child away carefully. But God intervenes at just the last minute. Look with me at verse 20. He'll choose to embrace her and embrace her shame. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do y'all know what the most command commanded command, does that make sense? The most oftenly commanded command. That makes worse sense. That's it. Do y'all know what that is in Scripture? Don't be afraid. Because God meets us always when we're afraid. We said it last week, we'll say it again. Where is it in your life, in your relationship, in your place where you cannot look to because you're afraid? Oh, would that God come to us and speak into that place. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to do what? To take Mary home as your wife. Don't be afraid to embrace her, to welcome her, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from his sin, from their sins. Betrothal was legal binding engagement. Divorce was the only way out. Remember that Joseph was trying to do the honorable thing, but God comes in, he disrupts us, he shocks us, Joseph was trying to do the right religious thing. But instead, he chooses to sacrifice. Hear this, because love does what's hard, if it costs us. I love what Robin Craddock sent me this week. It's a poem, it's a reflection that this man wrote thinking about this verse. Before Joseph went to bed, He was thinking about, can I really trust her? Can I really believe her? Can I really trust God? Because that's what it really came down to. So he writes this reflection on, what if he did leave? Hear this. Imagine if he had. Imagine how often we dismiss the holy because we don't see it as holy. How often we judge, come to our conclusions, and make our plans without knowing we're dealing with God. How easily we dismiss or avoid people or relationships, issues or awareness, unmindful that God is present, unbelieving that something unseen and possibly glorious may imminently appear. The door you close may open of itself. The unexpected one may emerge from that one or another. Learn to expect the holy unexpected, the holy unexpected. Look on your disappointments and discouragements with eyes of faith. God is coming, God is already here, gestating. God is not done yet. He didn't just come to Joseph who was done. He came to his people. And he was told to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is the Greek rendering of the word, the name Joshua. Joshua was a super popular name back then, just as it is today, because it means God is salvation. You shall give him the name Jesus because he will save his people, from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Take the two names together. Jesus, his given name, because God is salvation. Take the name that represents His identity, Emmanuel, God with us. God saves us. God is with us. That is the good news of Advent and Christmas. God did not give up on us. He's not going to give up on you. God is gestating. He is here. God is not done yet. Just pray we don't miss him by missing what we have written off as impossible or unholy. Our life with God is about paying attention to what God is doing and responding appropriately. Let me say that again. Our life with God is about paying attention to what God is up to and responding appropriately. Joseph paid attention to what God is up to. He probably had to apologize for Mary and says, I believe you now. Because an angel that came said the same thing to me he did to you. Don't be afraid, so I'm stepping out. If it sounds hard to pay attention to God, or it sounds mysterious to pay attention to God, it's because it is hard and mysterious. I wish somebody told me that when I was the student's age. That's why I'm thankful for Jason and Becky, because they tell the students, it's hard, it's not easy. If everybody could follow Jesus and it didn't cost you anything, everybody would follow Jesus. But it costs you something. And it's hard. It's hard to sit still, to quiet our lives, to quiet ourselves, to quiet our hearts. And to try to pay attention to the nudges of the Holy Spirit. So a good litmus test for me is, does it look like Jesus? In this relationship, with this person, with this opportunity, with this job, does it look like something Jesus would do? Or another litmus test would be, does it look like the fruit of the Spirit? Like love, like joy, like peace, like patience. Does this conversation look like the fruit of the Spirit? And if Jesus were in my body, would He be saying these things? Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He is in our bodies. We should pay attention and try to walk with Him. And when we screw it up, He's Jesus. God saves us. And He will forgive us and meet us with grace and say, let's try it again tomorrow. But we've got to pay attention and respond appropriately. That's what Joseph does. As we wind down to the end of the text, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. Why? Because love costs and love does what's hard. For us, sometimes... It's the big life kind of thing like Joseph had. Can you all think about a big life decision that you were wrestling with like Joseph? Should I do this or that? Show of hands? Anybody? Yes? Mostly adults. Exactly. But here's the deal. It's also a choice and it can cost us in the little ways. Surrendering our right to be right. Surrendering our sense of justice if we're forgiving this person who's harmed us. It costs. But he did what was hard. He took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to his son. And he gave him the name Jesus. That's an important note that Matthew gives us there is that Joseph was faithful. He was faithful. He did what was right. He did what was hard. It cost him. And the God with us who is with them is still promised to be with us to the end. I want to close with a story I've gotten permission to tell because I love bragging about these people who I love more than anybody else in the the world. Some of the most beloved people in my life. So I can brag on them even if they don't want me to. I want to tell you a story about another pregnancy and another messenger from God. In 2007, Roman Popov, our kingdom partner uh, and pastor in Russia, many of you guys have met him before known him if you've been around long enough. Uh, he and his whole family stayed with us here, our church, this summer. But in 2007, he spent a week on his visit here with the Riddells, Pastor Bud, Robin, and Lindsay. And he spent his time there with them. And so what he was able to do was see firsthand all of Pastor Bud's little quirks. He probably got a ton of hugs from Robin. She's the best hugger this side of the Mississippi. But the other thing that he saw was Lindsay. He got to see firsthand Miss Lindsay Riddell, this young woman who loves Jesus, has been transformed by Jesus And that has transformed her in the way that she, like Joseph, embraces people and accepts people. Even though one of the most, (laughs) my most favorite thing about Lindsay is she will tell you what's up. Straight up. But she speaks truth in love. He got to see firsthand Lindsay. And one of the nights... That he was staying with them. This is when Lindsay was in school and she had just done this big project on Russia. And she was so excited to show him this project that she did on Russia. And it was like one of those big uh, like science trifold things, right? So she brings it out, I'm told, and she set it down and she's telling him all about Russia. And this dude has like lived in Russia his whole life. But he's like blown away because she's like, dude, this is right on. And that's exactly how he sounded. He had a way better American accent than, than he does now. You still with me? So she shows him this Russian picture, but he's seeing her love. She's just, he's seeing her interact with her family, with others, with this church. And on the last night of their visit, Bud tells me that they were up late and they were talking. And one of the things I love about Ramon, too, is he'll just cut to the chase and he'll just ask you the questions that penetrate deep down. And he says, he looks at Bud and he says, what's it like? Raising a child with Down syndrome. And Bud, Pastor Bud, I've heard him say this a number of times, and this is what he said on that night. He says, I mean, well, I had two daughters before Lindsay, and when Lindsay came, I loved her, I supported her, and I treated her just like I would anybody. She is special, she's beautiful, and I treated her as my own because she is my own. I treated her just like any daughter of mine. And so he said that Ramon just sat there thinking for a minute, and then he said that he just sensed this sadness wash over Ramon's face. Ramon finally spoke, and he says, that is so beautiful. He says, because in Russia, when I was growing up in communist Russia, he said there were typically three things that happened when women found out they were pregnant with a child with Down syndrome. He says, the first thing is, They'll give birth, but then they commit them to an institution, and they just remain institutionalized from birth until death. He says the second thing, a very common thing, and it's continued to be on the rise in Russia, is that they would just abort the child. And then the third thing that they would do, in rare cases, is that the child would be born, but then the child would just be left to die. So that was a powerful conversation for Pastor Bud and a powerful conversation for Ramon. And he went home and several months, weeks later, still in the winter time, he hears one of his church members talk about a prayer request for her sister who's pregnant and she just found out that her child is going to have Down syndrome. So what Ramon did as a modern day Gabriel is he drove in his vehicle in winter in Russia about five hours to the home of this sister of the church member and the sister he's never met. And he drove five hours. He arrived at her doorstep. He knocked on the door and he said this, and Pastor Bud was insistent on this because he blurted it out. The second he saw this woman, he says, You cannot abort this baby because of Lindsay Riddell in Dallas, USA. She had been contemplating aborting the child. She had been living in that tension and that dilemma. Do I trust God? Do I trust what's happening here? Or do I just take the easy way, the way that she thought would cost less, even though I believe it would cost her more? But Ramon shows up and says, you cannot abort this baby. Choose love. She invited him in, which is a miracle in and of itself, because I don't know what you'd do if a big old Russian bear showed up at your door and says, you cannot abort this child. Because of Lindsay Riddell in Dallas, U.S. (laughs) But she invited him in and she said they talked for about an hour. And he told her about this young woman he met in Texas who loved deeply, who cared about people, who loved Jesus, and who led a full and beautiful and vibrant life. And a while later we got word that she gave birth to a healthy baby boy with Down syndrome and she named him Bogdan. And you know what was hard, just like it was with Joseph and Mary, they didn't really find acceptance. You know, Joseph and Mary, they had to leave their country because there was persecution. And so they couldn't find the support they needed. But rather, what they did as that family with little Bogdan, was they took him to a place. They took him to Spain and where he spent his early years being loved and cared for and accepted and supported. And now what happens years later is he's doing well. They've moved back to Russia. They live in St. Petersburg. But they are embraced, they are integrated, they are loved because they chose to love when it was hard. Rahman was a sort of Gabriel. He said, don't be afraid. And Lindsay was the living flesh embodiment and savior to a child half a world away. Because God has called us, if we've been transformed by his love, to transform the world around us through his power. That's what Joseph and Mary did, and on and on and on and on and on and on down through the centuries. And I think about in that story, what would the Riddells have missed if they hadn't embraced and loved Lindsay? What would our church look like if we had not embraced and loved Lindsay? If we have not been embraced and loved by Lindsay? What would our church look like if we are a place that is not what I believe we are living into beautifully and that is an embracing and welcoming, hospitable community? What if we choose not to continue to live into this love? I would quit and not call it a church. But I am so thankful to God that we are living into this love because He's not done with us. He's showing up. He's God with us. He's God saving us. And what do we miss if we step out of that and choose not to embrace in love? We miss God with us. So may you walk this week in the way of love, embracing others even if it costs you. Because God with us has saved us and he embraced us and sacrificed first. Let's pray. Father, this is a time in which you are here. Lord, it's so hard for us to stay awake to it. So Lord, would we just lean into you in Your peace, in Your joy, in Your presence in these next few moments. Would You meet with us? Would You work on us? Would You not give up on us? Would You continue to form us, shape us, mold us so that we would be people who love radically, even if it costs us? We thank You for this time. We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you would all please stand and receive our benediction. May your hearts be broken tonight for the very things that break the heart of God, and may that pain propel you to love. Love those who believe and think differently than you. Love those who are lonely. Love those who are struggling. Love those who curse you and those who have hurt you. Love those who are unlovable, and love those who cannot return the favor. In a world that is waiting for a gift wrapped in shiny paper, Be a reminder that the greatest gift of all was wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a dirty manger. Listen intently for the coming cry from that manger. Wait expectantly and live into the words of Micah as he instructed us to act justly, to love tenderly, and to walk humbly with our God. Go in peace and be a people of radical love.